Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 4, Episode 7 of Farscape. John Quixote. Okay. Season 4 is the season that I've watched the least. I think I've only watched through Season 4 once, other than Kansas and following. I feel like a lot of sci-fi shows kind of fall down on their last couple of seasons. I mean, I, I granted, I don't have a huge, like basis to draw from here but wasn't that where like stargate kind of fell apart because they thought they were canceled or whatever but then they got another season okay so i my first thought was both stargate and babylon 5 both shows that thought they were canceled wrapped things up real fast and then had to do an entirely new season and that's just not fair to to say you know last season's the worst this show did not think they were canceled and in fact did not wrap things up absolutely does not wrap things up hence we get the movie to wrap things up Hmm. i think this i'm not going to name names but i also know somebody who was an andromeda fan who did not watch or like the last couple of seasons okay but okay so number one i'm going to clarify it's not you no yeah the implication i I hope i hope our listeners know that i i am not at it yes please i want to say that i appreciate you protecting the identity of the Andromeda fan you know. Well, I, I tweeted a little bit about Andromeda, and someone quote tweeted it, what I said with, hey, look, it's someone brave enough to admit that he actually watched Andromeda. Does it really have that bad of a reputation? I mean, I didn't think it was great or anything, but... I don't know if it, I don't know if it has that much of a bad reputation. It is terrible. It is very, very terrible. But weren't there a lot, kind of a lot of bad sci-fi shows back? In the 90s, people trying to bite next-gen Stelio or whatever. Well, Andromeda's interesting in that respect, because it's actually based on a treatment by Roddenberry, so it, like... Isn't it called, like, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda or something? Yeah, it is, which is just so mean to Gene Roddenberry. But, like, uh, apparently Discovery also is kind of using the same premise. Yeah, that's what I hear. I have not been able to get into Discovery, which is weird, because, I mean... I love Strange New Worlds. I love Lower Decks. Well, Lower Decks is great. That's why you love Lower Decks. Yeah, it's it's I feel like I feel like we have like a divergent evolution going on with Star Trek where you have like the very heavy plot-driven stuff and then you've got the more episodic adventure type stuff and I'm just really a fan of the more episodic adventure type stuff. I mean, that's the thing with Star Trek, isn't it? Isn't Star Trek about... I mean, I'm not counting DS9, which I haven't seen yet. I know that's the one that had, like, a big running plot. I guess Next Gen had, like, running plots. But overall, Star Trek is a more episodic show, right? Star Trek is a more episodic show. Deep Space Nine kind of lived in that gray area before shows became serialized. So it is much more serialized than the Trek that came before it. But apparently not to the not to the extent of like Picard, which is just one long, long movie, which is kind of what we do with television now. It's not fair to say that it's not real Trek because, you know, change or die, right? Yeah. It's fine to evolve. It's just not what interests me. But listeners of our shows will know that I do love time travel. So I should really get into Discovery, and I just haven't been able to yet. Also, we keep on watching, like, the first three minutes of Prodigy just because 
when you run out of lower decks, that's what auto plays. It's true. No offense to Prodigy, but eh. But I think if I'm gonna I'm gonna have my reboot time travel story energy, I'm gonna save it for Quantum Leap on Peacock. I am I'm so, so excited. excited. I am I'm surprised that you're as excited as I am, because to my knowledge, you never actually watched the original Quantum Leap. No, and I think it's too confusing. I know everyone's into it and like it what was a mean? really popular it's, it's the opposite of confusing. It makes perfect sense. Okay, so he jumps into people's bodies and then their like consciousness is stored in some room run by a guy named Al. Okay. No, no or, or no, their physical body. None of that is bo- correct. Not, none of that is right. Well, except for the first part. Yes, he jumps into people's bodies. Their consciousness is in his body. They swap bodies. Okay. And his body's trapped at this facility? It's not trapped, per se. It's just that's where it is. It's in this facility where the people who run the Quantum Leap Project are taking care of it. And the thing about the Quantum Leap Project is that the Quantum Leap Project kind of exists in this weird, hazy space because of the time travel where all of the effects of the changes Sam is making on the world kind of don't touch that facility. So it's not that people are like imprisoned there but you know if you leave then you're going to start to be affected by the time stream and it doesn't seem really really complicated as a premise for a show to you okay but you don't need to know any of what i just told you all you need to know is that sam leaps into people's bodies to fix right what once went wrong hoping every time that his next leap will be the leap home that's all you need to know and that's in the credits okay so can he like visit the facility if he's in the body of someone who's around in a time when the facility was around he could theoretically and there's one time when he and there's one time there's one episode where he, he's not the one who leaps al is the one who leaps and he is back in the facility okay so they figured out how to get al back but sam's stuck leaping all over the place forever so yeah well they didn't figure out how to get al back it's just that Al had one leap, and then it was like, oh, I guess I'm done leaping now. Yeah, well, Sam doesn't control the leaps. They just happen when he's fixed the time stream. Yeah. So when he fixes the time stream, he leaps. And one time he left and then realized that his leap, he was inside of his own body, and Al was the one who was in another body, and the person was in Al's body, not Sam's body. And the reason they did that is because he can only leap within his own lifetime. And this was Al's... Discounting a couple of episodes in a few of the novels. Yes. Yes. Well, wait. No, not discounting any episodes. I am thinking, I don't think there's a single episode where he leaps outside of his own timeline. In this particular episode, he went back to before his own birth, but it's Al who leaps. That's why they're able to do it. There are some novels including which are not the, canon including the one where he has sex with his own great 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 grandmother where they're like oh he can leap into his ancestor but that's not no that's not whatever and the whole point of him leaping into only his own timeline is obviously so that you don't have to answer the wait how come he didn't go back and stop hitler that feels like something that went wrong so any it, time travel story must answer the question of why you don't go back in time and kill hitler like that's well the the big problem with the new one is we're going to be like I guess since they're uncontrolled. But theoretically, he is jumping in a time where he could have stopped 9-11. The new new guy? Yeah. Well, yeah, but we don't know what the rules are going to be for this one. It's a a whole new series. We don't know what the rules are going to be. But, like, 
is later revealed. Okay, I didn't want to get into. I didn't want to get into this because I feel like you're gonna roll your eyes at. at oh, the dark leapers isn't that a thing? That is a thing. That's not what I was gonna talk about. No, the fact that Quantum Leap is a sci-fi show that is pretending to be a sci-fi show, but in reality, it's a fantasy show, and we eventually learn that the computer that he created is like a sentient being and is essentially God and is the one controlling where he goes. Like the answer to all of your questions is a wizard did it. And I didn't want to get into that with you because I felt like you would roll your eyes. But the fact is, I mean, that, that is a really basic thing. Like isn't most, isn't most sci-fi just like fantasy and science clothes. I feel like it's a pretty basic thing. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. We're going to talk about that. A, like, it's funny. Our tangents usually don't relate to something. It definitely relates to what we're going to talk about with John Quixote. No, I totally buy that. That seems like a really standard. I mean, I've I haven't read Pern, but I've had Pern explained to me a whole bunch of times. I totally buy that. Although I guess Pern is more that in the opposite direction. Pern is Pern is sci-fi pretending to be fantasy as opposed to fantasy pretending to be sci-fi. But they still have like a secret computer that's actually God. No, but that's why it's... It teaches that kid all those eagle songs and kills itself. Okay, I haven't read that book. I, okay, we cannot... Okay. <laughs> Pern is too far a divergence. I do someday want to talk about Pern, but today is not that day. Maybe someday we can do a Welcome to Westeros podcast. And, yeah, probably not because... Ugh. For various reasons. I don't know. What's another show with dragons that we could do? Huh. I guess we could just do a Welcome to Pern podcast. No, let's do Gallivant. That technically has dragons in it. Not just technically! Tad Cooper is a dragon! Yes, we all super believe in Tad Cooper. Okay, we should actually talk about this episode of Farscape. Okay, until I said the episode out loud, the episode title out loud, I didn't realize John, Don. Like, I, I knew Kyote was after Kyote, but I'm like, why John Kyote? Oh, because it sounds like Don Kyote. Yeah. I've never said the episode title out loud. It's like a zero if an entendre. Anyway, I um thought this episode was great. That was the point I was leading up to when I said I hadn't rewatched season four. I forgot how good this episode was. I really, really enjoyed it. And when we started, you were like, oh, good, it's another ridiculous episode. But I think ridiculous episodes are the sweet spot of Farscape, and I love this one. Oh, my God. It opens... Okay. It opens... With Sokozu coming in to talk to Scorpius, and she's like, would you like to play a game? And I just love the way they set that up. Scorpius is sad. He's in his sadness. Well, they're keeping him in a cell. Spotlight. Yeah, but, I mean, of course he's sad. He's being kept in a cell. Eh, he's been in worse positions. I suppose that's true. Honestly, I feel like Scorpius is probably just more bored than anything. Which is why it's nice that Sakozu is all like, hey, do you want to play a game? And by the way, the game that she brings him is the chessboard that John built to play with Harvey. Mm. Thought that was a nice touch. That is cute. She's basically doing that thing where they uh, fill a watermelon with ground beef and throw it into a lion enclosure. Yeah, but like, if the zookeeper wanted to fuck the lion. I'm assuming that's why most people become zookeeper. No. No, backing out of that joke. Should I cut that line? No, don't cut it. Okay, I'm keeping that in here. I'm keeping that in here, but I'm also keeping in the do you want me to cut it so that people understand that you regret saying it, but I'm leaving it there. I regret saying it, but not enough for you to edit it out. On the subject of tiger fucking... Nope, moving on. On the subject of just general fucking, we go from 
Sakozu trying to seduce Scorpius to the transport pod where Chiana and John are like scooting around and I don't know where they got these. Scooting around. I don't know what they're doing out there. Generic ship stuff. Yes, but wherever, I think they were like generic supply run stuff. Mm. Because wherever they were doing a supply run, Chiana picked up these like organic pods. I just, okay, this is such a good opportunity for a Star Trek The Next Generation comparison. All right. You remember the episode of Star Trek The Game? Yeah, with the, like, Riker buys that game where you, like, throw rings onto other things and that then everyone on the ship gets addicted to it because it's like a psychic virus or something. Yeah, the episode of Star Trek where everybody gets really into Candy Crush. Yes. But in that episode, the game that they get trapped on is this, like, very thin headband thing that you put on that goes over your eyes. Also, it's um, Wesley's girlfriend who brings it onto the ship, not Riker. I see how you remembered that it was horniness that brought it onto the (laughs) ship, and therefore you thought Riker... Anyway. I just remember that thing with him playing the game and and Riker making his O face as he's like staring at a like 3D triangle going up and down. Oh my god. It's so funny how the like ridiculously cheesy 3D effects that they used in that episode, and yet we here in the year of our Lord 2022 are perfectly capable of getting addicted to phone games with much worse graphics. It's like you didn't even know. You could have just had like a little cartoon candy bar. People would have said it was more ridiculous, but it would have been more accurate. But, you know, that's like a very antiseptic, sci-fi, science thing for them all to get addicted to. Here, when they get sucked into the game, it's this like pulsating... Rock with nodes. Blobby thing. Yeah. It like, it looks like... It looks like something Nickelodeon would have sold to kids. Like, it's not as gooey as Gak, but it's that kind of thing. I do like the concept of this. It's, it it is basically a video game, but it it emits something that draws you into this weird psychic drug headspace where you have to play out scenarios that were created beforehand. Yeah, and it's not just, it's not just a game. There's also, like, movies and stuff, and Shiana's, like, holding on to one, and we don't see what she's seen, but she tells us it's porn. There's, there's a bit in the 80s uh, Teen Titans run where uh, Cyborg is doing some research on, like, a giant 80s-style computer, Mm -hmm. and uh, Beast Boy walks into the room and he's like, what are you doing watching porn? And I tried so hard to find that panel. Except I feel like there's no combination of those words I could Google that wouldn't get me put on a watch list. Yes. Yes. Anyway, while Chiana's playing with the little blobby thing, John is just sitting off to the side. This episode doesn't have a previously on. Mm -hmm. Instead of a previously on, we just have John, like, navel-gazing and flashing back to Aaron being like, Yeah, John, I'm pregnant and I didn't tell you about it and this is going to be a real problem for our relationship. Especially because... You may or may not be the father. Genetically speaking, but not actually speaking, because I had sex with a duplicate of you. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, that is what I... Well, I meant, like, genetically you may or may not be the father. But then, if genetically you are the father, you may or may not be the father in, like, a real sense, because it was a genetic duplicate of you that impregnated me, if it is you. Um, Yeah, so John's off navel-gazing, and Chiana says, there's just so many, like... 
there are so many like ominous lines at the beginning of this episode. Chiana says, stop messing around with the Aaron in your head. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And come look at porn with Chiana. <laughs> I do really like the conceit of this, how this thing works. Because it's sci-fi, but it's also like not all that out there. I mean, it it's basically like going on a guided drug trip. Yeah. Which has to be a thing. You know, I, I said that like it's a okay. thing. I don't know if that's actually a thing. But... Well, I assume there's some telepathy involved as well. Mm. But it's the sort of thing that's like, you know, just plausible enough. Oh, yeah, totally. I totally buy this thing. Also, as John walks past Chiana, who's inside of one of the games, he kind of nudges her and she's just totally out of it. And he comments so that we know that she is completely vulnerable at this moment. Just so that we know that if somehow they both get sucked into the game, they will be completely vulnerable, y'all. Speaking of, Chan's like, seriously, John, you need to get your head out of your head and into this thing and grabs his hand and sticks it on the thing. Now, to be fair to Chiana, considering what we know she's looking at, I wouldn't be able to resist either. I would be like, John, literally, there is nothing happening that's more important than you see this fucked up shit that I am looking at. And she takes his hand, presses it to the root, and the fucked up shit that she was looking at was, she's on the gamut base that they blew up a couple of, uh, couple seasons ago. And Jelena is there. Wow, Jelena, that's a callback. Yeah, yeah. And then Scorpius shows up and starts shooting at them. And it's like, what the hell is going on? And I'm just gonna spoil what's going on. Go for it. I feel like in a traditional sci-fi show, we would get something like this, and it would be like, yes, the game takes elements from your memory, and it makes them real, and like, so you play, it's it's like therapy, you know, you play through what your subconscious is thinking about, but no, no, what's actually happening is that Stark designed the game based on John's life, and they just happened to run across it. So I seriously cannot blame Chiana, who is, like, inside the game, and she's like, I'm living John's life? What the fuck? Yeah, John, nothing is more important than you come look at this! Yeah, it would be kind of like if you, like, booted up a new Silent Hill game, and the house that you start in is, like, the house you're currently living in. You would be really freaked out by that. You would want to show someone that. Yup, yup. Or how the, uh, this is different, but, uh, how the school in the first uh, Silent Hill game is it's the school from Kindergarten Cop because that's <laughs> that was the reference the game designers had for an American uh, elementary school. That's amazing. That's honestly amazing. And it's one of those things you don't notice until someone like someone did a side by side thing that was going around. And I was like, huh. But for so many people, there must have been like an uncanny thing. Yeah. Which works with Silent Hill. Where you're like, this seems so familiar, but I can't put my finger on how. And especially, like, if Kindergarten Cop was one of the childhood movies that you watched all the time. It wasn't mine, but I'm sure it was lots of people's Mm. childhood movie they watched all the time. Aaron Bailey was in that. Michelle's classmate from Full House. God, this is knowledge I do not need to have. I've seen Kindergarten Cop once. A girl I went to college with was in it. Oh. Yeah. In fact, a girl who... I went to college with, and she had been a child actor. She's in Kindergarten Cop, 
in college, I knew her because we were in the same Rocky Horror Picture Show shadow cast. Mm. She was Janet. I was Frank. Farscape. So John and Shiana like jump to another level. The game is all fucked up because John's brain is John's brain and the game's like not sure what's happening. So they jump immediately to another level where John is dressed like a Spanish conquistador and Shiana is wearing like, I don't know, it's like a jester's outfit. I'm not really sure. Like, Okay, this is going to be a weird reference and I really don't want to keep going off topic, but it really reminds me of the outfit Callisto was wearing in the Xena musical episode, which I've only seen once because I thought I would enjoy it a bunch, but it was actually pretty terrible. I haven't watched I've watched some Xena, I haven't watched a ton of it, but when I heard that they did a musical episode, I was like, oh, I'll check that out, and it was just not very good. Huh. But I do really like how this is set up to look like basically a live-action version of a Nintendo 64 game. Oh, that yes, I was thinking it looked almost like giant Legos or like Minecraft, but yeah, that is, it looks like an N64 game. Yeah, with, like, very blocky trees and kind of cartoonish visuals, except live action. Yeah. Yeah. I I quite like it. Chiana says, I'm sure there's some technobabble explanation, and John's like, I don't care. And I just love that. I love that. Like, you know what? We're not even gonna bother. You don't care. We don't care. Let's get to the weird shit. Oh, well, we should mention, they were on the gamut base. Scorpius was coming after them with a gun, and then Stark showed up with a machine gun and drove Scorpius off, and then Stark sent them into this new reality. Mm-hmm. We did briefly see them pass through the room of doors, which will become a set piece in this episode. Mm. Also, hey, Stark's back! Ish. Sort yeah. of, yeah. So, up in the giant tower, we see, and presumably John sees too, even though it seems way too far away for John to be able to see it. But we see Princess Aaron. Aaron in a long blonde wig. Speaking with an inexplicable southern accent. An inexplicable southern accent with a lisp. I don't know what's happening and I don't care. What an odd series of choices. And when you say southern accent, it's like a Tennessee accent because she sounds like Dolly Parton. But as you said, with a lisp. And then an old school tube television falls out of the tower crashes into John's head and knocks him unconscious and we go to credits. There are things I enjoy about this episode, but I feel like this is an episode that would have benefited from being shorter. Well, it had to be as long as the slot. I... There are things I liked about this episode, but I have a hard time saying that I like this episode overall. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm just way into this episode. There are episodes of Farscape that I might watch again. This is not one of them. Oh, I will definitely be revisiting this episode, personally. I mean, actually, I'll be revisiting all of Farscape more than you, well, I'm sure, but... Yes, that, that is a safe bet. I can see myself going back to this episode. I know it's such a, like, college stoner cliche to say that an episode would benefit from you being stoned while watching it. But no, that's accurate in this case. No, okay. So, no, actually, I, I really hate that cliche, and I'm not going to say it about this episode. I'm going to say, watching this episode makes you feel like you are stoned. That is my experience with um, Shock Treatment, a movie which I enjoy, but I do always feel kind of stoned by the end of it, no matter what state of mind I was into, no matter what state of mind I was in going into it. And I think it's because both Shock Treatment and this episode follow 
I'm going to say stoner logic, but really it's dream logic. Mm. It's like, we already dismissed the, there's some techno babble explanation, we don't need it. All you need to do is just let go of trying to understand why things are happening and absorb the dream logic. And especially with what's going on in this episode, it makes sense on a psychological level. It doesn't literally need to make sense. Ooh, much like Quantum Leap. So Chiana goes to check on John, whose head has been crushed under an old-timey TV. I feel like I just... If we were going to do a commercial for our podcast, I feel like his head getting crushed under the TV would be part would be one of the shots we would use. Stark's just kind of leaning against the tower watching, and uh, Chiana pulls the TV off, and John's like, well, that was not fun. Well, when Chiana pulls the TV off, there's like a piece of metal now protruding from his helmet like an antenna. And Stark is like the game avatar, which in this case seems to mean the like dungeon master instructional guy. What is this, a Piers Anthony book? Yes. Okay, I know that the obvious place to go with this is Kilobyte. I know, right? But honestly, it reminds me of one of the Xanth novels. I don't remember the name of it because it's been a really long time since I've actually read the Xanth novels. But it was very loosely a tie-in to the Xanth video game. And the premise was that uh, people in the non-magical world played this game that let them enter Xanth through their computers. Uh-huh. And uh, they would have uh, companions who were, like, natives of Xanth. It was, it was a whole, it was a whole, like, they're experiencing this real magical world as though it were a video game. Honestly, the whole thing kind of feels like a run-up to Kilobyte, even though it might have come out after Kilobyte. So I haven't read any of the Xanth novels. None of them? Wait, no, that's not true. I read The Color of Magic. You're going to start with... Isn't that the first one? What's the first one called? A Spell for Chameleon. I read A Spell for Chameleon. And that's it. Actually, I don't think The Color of Magic is a Xanth book. No, it's the it's the first Discworld book. Yeah. There's a Xanth book called The Color of Her Panties. Jesus Christ, Anthony! What are what are we even doing? And one called the Source of Magic. Yeah, no, I was I was conflating it with the first Discworld book, which is like the worst place to start with Discworld. Yeah, I there's not like a good gen. I mean, there are a lot of good generic starting places for Discworld because Discworld is a good series. But well, there's two perfect starting points for Discworld: mm-hmm. Guards, Guards, or Weird Sisters. Like depending on what kind of story you want, start at one of those and then go from there. By the way, Weird Sisters, Ride or Die for me. Like, I'm, I'm not saying... Or I, I never got into the Night Watch books. Oh. I've read it. I've read like three or four of them. They're fine. I've died in the Wool Witches, man. All about those witches. Oh, see, I've read all of the Discworld books. So for me, it's just like, where do you... Which door do you use to enter? We're going to go to all the rooms. Mm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the witches are my favorite books. Uh, although, God, I love... um. The, the moist Lipwick? No. Those are fine. I love Monstrous Regiment. Monstrous Regiment is probably my favorite standalone Discworld book. Honestly, I don't really like the other runners that much. I like going postal, but I don't really like the other moist Litwick ones. Not really a big Night Watchman person. Not really the wizard. What about books. Death? That's fine. So so what do you <laughs> I like the witches. Okay, you're like listening to all the Discworld stuff, and you're like, not a fan. I like soul music, which I know is not, by any stretch of the imagination, the best death book. 
What is the best death book? Ooh, probably... Probably Mort. Mort's the one everyone loves, right? Although it doesn't really have Susan in it, and she's, like, the most popular one. I don't think I don't think Mort's a, a very popular death book. I think it's, um... Yeah, no, I think Reaper Man is probably the most popular favorite death book. Mm. Although, my favorite book that features a lot of death is probably Thief of Time. Surprising no one. Surprising no one. I love Thief of Time. Oh my god, that one's so good. Oh my god, it's got the auditors in it. Oh, and it's got the analogy where he explains all of the inconsistencies within the Discworld universe. With the tablecloth. He rips off the tablecloth to explain how the time monks work. And then Susan's like, but there's some stains from the meal still on the tablecloth. And also you knocked over the glass. And he's like, yeah, it's a pretty good metaphor. It's just, oh, God, I love that book. It's weird because I feel like Weird Sisters is the strongest witches book. Like, I like all of the witches books, but I feel like it's the strongest one. And then... Lords and Ladies? No, I do like Lords and Ladies, but... Honestly, I think it goes in order. I think it starts with the best one, and then they go, not downhill, but not as good hill. The thing about this, the witch books, though, is that Weird Sisters is probably the best, but there is so much great stuff in Witches Abroad. Like, you Oh, can't... no, I love Witches Abroad so much. I was just thinking about that one. I was thinking the other day about the Hall of Mirrors moment, where it's like, which one is the real one? Yeah. Uh, and then... uh Oh, and the and the whole runner with the, with with the wand. No, with the wolf. Oh, and then Carpe Jugulum. Oh my God, Carpe Jugulum has the point where she like goes inside of her own blood. Like that's amazing. Yeah, no, that's. We need to get the Tiffany Aching books for our kid. Yeah, we do definitely. Farscape. I could keep going, but I feel like we do need to talk about Farscape at some point. So we're like. Four minutes into the episode, and we're like half an hour into. So that's the thing about this episode; it's so much based on dream logic that, of course, it's going to make you go off on tangents even more than we usually do. So in Farscape, Stark the Avatar has brought John and Shiana into the door room that I mentioned. This room that's like filled with doors that you can go through, and they'll bring you to different places. I like, like he's basically he's basically backdooring them. He's he's doing he's bringing them into the guts of the machine, even though this is a magic psychic hallucination video game yeah that's exactly what he's doing oh and incidentally we learn that this program came from john's death memory from when stark brought the other john into death that's why it's so detailed and stuff it's not just stuff john has told to stark yeah yeah stark used the memories he absorbed from the dying john duplicate to create a video game sort of in memory of him and he's like look the thing about this is, I kind of never thought that you would play the game, because obviously the you that this is based off of is dead, and I didn't think it would come up that the duplicate version of you would play it, so it's kind of messing some stuff up in here. I love Max Headroom John, who's sort of... It's yes! Weird. It's weird because Stark is the voice of the game, but Max Headroom John is also the voice of the game. Yeah, so Stark repairs the television that fell on John, and now we see Max Headroom John, who says, you know, I'm John Crichton, the most notorious criminal in the universe, and I'm here to send you on a mission. And, okay, y'all, Max Headroom John is super sexy. It really works. I like that in this universe you are going through John's life, but it's set up so that John is sending you on missions. Like, like Stark is the voice of the game in that it's the 
computer behind the game. It's the thing that's running the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas John is the voice, uh, Max Headroom John is the voice of the game as, you know what I'm saying? The voice, the face of the game. Yes. He's the one who is, if you were just playing the game regularly, he'd be the one you were listening to. Mm-hmm. So Max Headroom John is like the face of the game. And then Stark pulls out what's presumably the manual behind the game. And Carl Jung has a little wet dream because it's a book of fairy tales because that's what underscores all of the stuff we're seeing. Mm. And it's called a Grimm fairy tale as opposed to, you know, Grimm's fairy tales. And the image on the cover is the castle that we saw in the level where Aaron was trapped. So he opens up the manual to tell John how to escape. And he reads him a little poem that essentially tells him that the way to get out is that he has to kiss the princess, which, hey, that was the name of another episode, or go through a green door. He has to kiss the princess or go through a green door. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Oh, by the way, he has to kiss the princess that his love destroyed, or or that his true love did rend. Just, that line is kind of tossed out there, but if you're paying attention and you understand Farscape, like... I think we all know that Aaron's not the princess he's looking for in this game designed by Stark. Just, by the way. So, I do love that Stark pulls this, like, thing to look, like, really carefully at the, uh, at the book, like a magnifying glass thing. And then when he pulls it away, he's wearing this, like, gesture ruffle outfit. Like, he was sort of wearing a little outfit before, but the fact that it gets... I'm going to say worse. Amplified. Like, he starts to sort of be reabsorbed into the game as he's done reading the instructions. Yeah. Yeah. So he gives John these three little orbs, these three little, they look like ping pong balls, and that's honestly probably what they are. These three little tokens that he can squeeze, and then Stark will show up and answer one of his questions. But in the meantime, John has to follow the path. And... The path is a series of gold coins on the floor. I have a lot to say about gold coins. Okay, as in, like, video game-wise, or... It's a... it. Okay, so there's... I just feel like the gold coins, there's so much going on that you can read into them, right? So, yes, you have the video game thing with the gold coins that that's, you know, kind of your currency. That's what you're tracking. That's what you're following. They're not real gold coins. John says they look like chocolate coins, even though he never stops to pick them up and check. Also, the yellow brick road in Wizard of Oz, which is, like, supposed to talk, it's, some people say that it's about the gold standard, I think that's kind of bullshit, but that interpretation is out there, where we now have John following the gold coins. Also, I feel like there's some stuff going on here with all of the wealth that John and the crew acquired robbing the Shadow Depository. But how that's all kind of fleeting. They, they're not wealthy anymore, really, even though they robbed a shadow depository at Stark's behest. Yeah, they should really be rolling in it. I feel like a lot of stuff has happened. I feel like they've lost a lot of money. Although, I guess they haven't really had a, like, poverty episode in a while. Yeah. So, they followed the gold coins to a teeny tiny door, very Alice in Wonderland. And when they open the door, they land in a parking garage, like an Earth-style-looking parking garage. For, I must assume, reasons of 
doing this cheaply. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, it works. I like it. The dream logic is there. That is how dreams work. But, you know, it is a parking garage. I like how funny Chiana's walking. She just kind of keeps kicking her leg up. Yeah, I feel like she's uh, trying to figure out what this costume is doing to her. So they see a van a-rockin', and yet they come a-knockin' anyway. Well, it's a fortune teller's van, right? It says, like, palms, red, star charts, done, fortune telling. And inside of the van... Okay, um, can I just... just I'm just gonna touch on a little bit, a little bit of what I feel like is some ugly fat phobia here. Yeah. Like, just throwing it out there. Don't like it, but... Alright. I get why they... I guess I get the logic behind this. Okay, I'm, we have to... I feel like by nature of discussing this, we, we have to discuss the spoiler here. Yeah, we have to talk about the ending. Sure. Okay, so they open the van, and the person who comes out claims to be Zan. Um, and it is a... A, a male relative of the, of the Pa'u Zan that they encountered on the physical realm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is, this person is Delvian. It, it is a fat man wearing no shirt, just with like one of Zan's kind of uh, cloaky looking things wrapped around his waist. Mm. I would not necessarily have an issue with his weight because I could very much do like a Buddha read here, except that at the end of the episode, they talk about how. Zan is trapped in ugliness. And it's like, dude, harsh. Yeah. Unnecessarily harsh. He's it's just a guy. Like the thing that makes this unappealing is that it's really obvious fat makeup. I is this a guy in a fat suit? It's not just a heavy guy? Oh, I assumed this was just the actress who plays Zan, spoiler alert for later in the episode. Wearing fat makeup. I did not think this was a different actor. Okay, that's important enough. I need to Google it. I will totally admit to being wrong if I'm wrong about this, and maybe it's just what larger people, what fat people look like in Delphian makeup, but I assumed we were going full Shannon Doherty in that one episode of Charmed. No, no, it is, it is, it, it, is, an, it is a different actor. Um, okay, so, so the person that we're looking at is Rowan Woods. Okay. Whose name might be familiar to you because he is a Farscape director. Oh. He directed uh, Back and Back and Back to the Future, Thank God It's Friday Again, A Human Reaction, oh. Nerve, Taking the Stone, Won't Get Fooled Again, Clockwork Nabari, Die Me Dichotomy, The Choice, Into the Lion's Dead Wolf in Chief's Clothing, both of the What Was Lost episodes, and he's going to direct Kansas, what I'm on record as saying is my favorite episode. Like. It's a pretty prolific guy. But also, like, all the best episodes. Also, in the episode A Human Reaction, when John is running around trying to figure out what's real and what's not, he's the guy and he's, he's standing in the bathroom. So that's just a weird thing there, especially if this is all pulled from John's memories. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, I guess I was wrong about it. It really felt like 
I mean, I guess that's just what happens when you have a lot of unnatural makeup on someone. It makes them look fake. Also, I mean, you were prepped to think that that's what was going on. Because the the twist at the end of this episode is that Zan, our Zan, is like trapped inside of this man. Yeah. But a lot of the, like, there's, because he, he, he's like Zan, so he's he's not naked, but he's half naked, and he's talking like Zan, and John's making, ew, I'm so grossed out faces because someone he doesn't want to have sex with is partially naked near him. This new Pa'u uh, sees John's hurt, because Gianna points it out, and he's like, look, you need to defeat the ogre so that you can make out with the princess and blah 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 save everything. He punches John, John falls to the ground and then the Pau leans down, tells him it's going to hurt a lot and pulls the part of the television out of his head. Yes. Then we are back inside of the van and he is looking at John. John is getting very sick. He's going to cure John with his milk milk so he's moved the shawl so it covers his breast so now he like puts the goblet underneath the shawl to milk one of the breasts and gives it to chiana who instantly realizes that it's poison and then he needs to milk the other breast and he's like good job usually usually people lose a life on that one they usually do not catch on and i mean i don't know why i trust this i while he's doing all of this he's warning chiana that to kiss the princess they're gonna have to get past the ogre and that's gonna be a whole thing I want to say that during this scene, we see the other side of the van that we haven't seen before. And now it says, we see that the other side of the van says flower power. Because mm. they're plants. plants yeah. Oh, come on. I love it. <laughs> also, when John wakes up screaming after drinking the milk that does cure him, we see him briefly on the television in the back door room, even though there's no one there to see that. That's just for our benefit. And it's amazing. And there, the, There's also a duck sitting on top of the TV. I think it's a goose. I think a it's goose, the goose that yeah. laid the golden egg. Yes. I this, this whole thing. I love it. This episode is so weird. So John is convulsing. The milk had a adverse effect on him. But I mean, it did cure him yeah. from whatever was killing him from the antenna. So... The Pau says that the, the, the big ogre's coming and that they need to book it. And then we get this split screen as the car is driving out of the parking lot. And it just... I like how the split screen basically means nothing. It's just the van from two different angles. And then at a certain point, it remerges into one image again. We get that a few times in this episode where we get a split screen that doesn't make any sense. And... I, I like to think that what we're seeing in the, and I, I have no reason to think this, but I like to think what we're seeing in that split screen is what John is seeing and what Chiana is seeing. That we're seeing mm-hmm. like player one and player two, like in racing games. So John snaps up. The, the van basically voips a little bit and John and Chiana are just on the ground now. And then the van drives off. Yep. And John's like, oh, I guess I'm okay. Okay, now and then a little samurai Rigel pops up out of the ground. Oh, I'm sorry. This is not a samurai Rigel. This is Black Knight Rigel from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay, I guess it's just because this helmet kind of spreads out at the bottom there. Yeah, okay, see how it kind of has like a samurai feel. Yeah, no, no, but this is Black Knight Rigel. And uh, by the way, Black Knight Rigel farts fire instead of helium. Okay. Yep. Also, John immediately recognizes this as being the Black Knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and immediately starts doing lines from it. 
which made me be like, oh, hey, Ernest Klein was totally copying this episode when he wrote Ready Player One. That's not fair. Ernest Klein was copying a lot of things when he wrote Ready Player One. (laughs) I still think the greatest piece of writing he's ever done is that poem about how much he wants to masturbate to porn of nerdy women. Oh my god. How he wants nerd porn, where girls in glasses tell him how cool the 80s are. And, And also, they can be fat. He's cool with that. You remember. I remember, yes! I know! I know! Oh my god. Anyway, Chiana and John, like... Chiana just stabs him. Chiana just does a couple of flips, and then she stabs Rigel, and Rigel explodes in a fart cloud. She does this by running to the side while John's distracted from the front, though. They kind of, like, they they corner him in, and, uh, like, like the good rogue that she is, Chiana Chiana gets him flat-footed. So, now Rigel explodes. We get a brief shot of John and Chiana completely vulnerable in the transport. And John's pissed off because the the road ends here. The coins stop here. And he's like, um... What kind of video game doesn't just have a quit button? Oh, we... Okay, I'm glad you said that because we didn't mention that. That's the part of this that's like Kilobyte. There is a quit button, but it doesn't work. Presumably because John's brain is too close to the John in the game. Yeah. But you're supposed to be like, I'm sick and tired of this orgasm! And then the game shuts off. But it... <laughs> that, that's from American Dad. That's not from uh That's like a that's deep cut American Dad. Dad reference. That is. It's from early American Dad before it got weirdly good. Okay, I think or American good Dad was and like weird. I think it was weirdly good from from Jump, but yeah. No, no not that, from Jump. No, not from Jump. Stan of Arabia is where American Dad becomes the best Seth MacFarlane show, but it isn't until like season 10 where it starts doing the really weird cool stuff. Like Whenever the hot tub episode is. Oh my god. You know the hot tub episode was supposed to be the... Well, it wasn't... Series, su- but no. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to be the series finale, but they thought that might be the end of the series, and they were like, fuck it, this will just be the end. Yeah, like, or when they go to that uh, hotel where you time travel by... Uh... Okay! There is an episode where they go to a hotel to time travel. They don't go there to time travel. They go there and they end up time traveling... And I didn't know this when I watched the episode. I thought it was just a weird, random time travel episode. But that episode is totally a takeoff of this book from the 1970s called Time and Again. That is like a hardcore, like, time travel nerds time travel book. That I am, feel confident saying most of our listeners have never heard of. Most people have never heard of. And yet there's an episode that does it. I would also go off about how there's an episode that is bizarrely and for no reason a takeoff on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but The Simpsons also did that, so I guess that's not that weird. Yeah. I mean, The Simpsons did that a couple of times. Yeah, but remember the one where it was just, like, not even a joke? It was just... Yeah, the modern... It it was the modern Simpsons where they went on that, like, they went on that Survivor-esque show and they got voted off first round and then they got stuck in the hotel. Yeah. And they were just doing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in the hotel played straight with that uh, other couple that got kicked off really early. Yeah. Which which was interesting, although American Dad did it better. The American Dad Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf episode is superior to The Simpsons Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Weird tangent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I heard the last season of The Simpsons is good. I hear The Simpsons is good again. 
Oh my god, we need to talk about Farscape. I mean, I feel like this episode invites what's happening right now. Anyway, John takes the little ping pong ball and is like, I'm going to summon Stark and ask a question. And Stark appears in the burning body of Rigel, and they're like, Stark, what the fuck? And Stark's like, follow the path, and then dies. And it's like, that is so not helpful, except- well, he gives them a little poem. It's one of those things, uh- Yeah, but the poem is part of the thing that he already told them. Well, it's it's one of those, uh, like, if you're playing a video game- and they have a hint system. It's the way the hint systems tend oh, to work in video yeah, games. Yeah, I guess it is about as useful as that. Yeah, yeah. But what they realize is that Rigel died on top of like a manhole cover, and they like bang on. They don't even open it. They just bang on it with their feet, and then they crash through it and land in what looks like the back door room that they were in before. Except now it is all set up like I don't. I don't even I don't even know how to describe what we're seeing. A candy witch house. Except it's not a house. It's like it's like if you were in the prop room for a play version of Han- of of Hansel and Gretel, and then you just set up all the props in like a row, but you're still in the back door room. But also now there are giant paper lollipops and a cauldron and a giant cage. Except that inside the cage. Is Jewel, hey, remember Jewel? Okay, when I asked if Jewel's last appearance was her last appearance and you said technically no, is this what you were talking about? She she also comes back in a movie. Okay, but yes. <laughs> but yeah, this is what I meant when I said technically no. Okay, so Jewel and Chiana are in the cage. Not, not our Chiana, not the Chiana who's dressed like... A jester. A jester. Another Chiana who's dressed like a witch and Jewel are up here in a cage. And then... Dargo, dressed like Hansel, is the person who's cooking people to eat. And Jewel's like, eat me, eat me! Why won't you eat me? And <laughs> Why doesn't anyone want to eat me? There, this Which feels is, like a weird meta thing about how no one liked Jewel. That's a hundred percent what this is. I'm just assuming. But yeah, Dargo, Dargo like goes up to John. He's like, the ogre will be upset if I let you go by without some molestation and John's like is this going to be a thing in all of my fantasies are all of my fantasies going to have this weird thing where Dargo is kind of hitting on me well I mean I think maybe if John had some introspection he might learn something about himself so yeah there's this weird like there, there's a bit where John's like you know what I don't want to do this can you just tell us where the ogre is so we can kill him and kiss the princess and Dargo's like ugh the princess no taste which weird no that makes sense because we're going to find out later that the princess is actually zan not aaron as john at this point in the story believes and somebody who likes candies wouldn't want to eat his vegetables well but somebody who wants meat wouldn't want something who's made out of vegetables so yeah that actually all makes a lot of sense anyway behind dargo is a green door and you'll remember that the poem said you can either kiss the princess or go through the green door and chiana's like that seems too easy, but there is a green door. And John's like, well, let's give it a shot. They walk through the green door. John wakes up. Chiana is still inside of the game, but John's like, fuck it. I got to get to see what's going on because I'm on a transport that needs to be driven. There's not a pilot in this transport. And also when he initially 
was getting sucked into the game by Chiana, he was hearing from Dargo that there was something going on with Scorpius in his cell. So now he's like, Dargo, what is happening? And Dargo's like, um, you better get the fuck back here because Sokozu let Scorpius out of his cell and all hell is broken loose. And by all hell, I mean Scorpius. And also Grace's command carrier is on the way and we are all going to die and you are in a transport pod. I, I don't actually think they around. Uh, say Sokozu. You know what? You are right. You are right. They do not say that Sokozu is the one who let him out. They just say he escaped. And you're right. That is important. Yes. <laughs> thank, thank you for... I was, I was summarizing from John's point of view, but you are right. Thank you for catching me up there. So... So John goes back into the thing to get Chiana. Yeah, I think that he was just going to try to knock her off of it, but he gets sucked back into it. Although, it, I mean, to me, it seems like a bad plan, but whatever. So, John goes into the room and sees fake witch Chiana, fake witch Chiana. Hey, hey, hey! On the carving table, being ready to be carved up. He's like, okay, where's my Chiana? And Dargo's like, you don't want her. You don't want her. There's, there's... Nothing on those bones. Yeah, no meat on those bones. Besides, she bites. And Jules complaining in the cage because no one wants to eat her. And John uses one of his help spheres to. He's like, okay, where's Chiana? Because I need to get her out of here. Yeah, so. Uh, because clearly, 15 minutes into the episode, I have discovered the way out of this uh, video game. Yeah, totally. 15 minutes into the episode, and we've been talking for an hour. Yeah, it's not going to be about the video game anymore. It's going to be about tracking down Scorpius now, obviously. The fact that when John sees Stark's head on the platter, to ask it, when he uses the little ball to ask him the questions to try to find the real Chiana, like, and Stark's being evasive, John pulls his sword and points it at him because John and Chiana had swords. And it's like, he's a severed head, John. Yeah, it's true. John asks the severed head Stark where Chiana is, and Stark says, can you be more specific? And John says, the gray girl with the sword, and Stark says, she went that way, and gestures with his head towards the blue door. Okay, tell me if I'm reading too much into this. Mm -hmm. He gestures him towards the blue door and says, mind the gap. I feel like this blue door is supposed to be a TARDIS reference, and that's why he makes a British comment when he says that. And that Remember that this would be prior to the revival of Doctor Who, so Doctor Who is, like, hardcore nerdy at this point. Are you saying that nerds may have written this sci-fi show? Shut up! <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think this is definitely a Doctor Who reference. So, the blue door opens, it's an elevator, and when John goes into the elevator, the screen, the screen inside the elevator is... Showing Max Hedrum John, who I will just remind everybody, is super sexy. <laughs> so sexy. I like how all of the buttons are completely out of order and they're all random numbers. And Max Hedrum John pops up on the screen and John's like, me! John is like, this would be fun if I wasn't like in a hurry and Gorpius hadn't escaped and there wasn't like a whole thing. Also, I really feel like Max Hedrum John is funny with this John. He's like, nice sword. I do really like that he, uh, he he asks him if he slayed any dragons with it, and then he tells him he should give it a name, like Cameron or Uma. And, yep. uh, and of course, the dragon thing was a lead into a Scarin popping into the elevator. Okay, because the, the elevator door is open on a Scarin standing there. The Scarin, by the way, is dressed like Little Red Riding Hood. Like, the Scarin is 
the girl, right? Little Red Riding Hood. And in the Scarron's basket is a human head. So I just, I don't know. I love it. Anyway, we know that we don't actually see the slaying happen, but presumably it does because when the elevator doors close, John is standing in the elevator and the head of the Scarron is in the elevator now. And Max Hedrum John seems to understand that this John is the real John because he's like, What's it like to be, you know, the real John and not be trapped in the video game where you're on rails, essentially? Yeah, and he he talks about how he always goes up and down and how he'd like to go sideways. And he's like, Frog Princess! And he uh, sends one of those fire-belching battle toads. Yep. And then Game Chat's like, ah, I'm just messing with you after John cuts off the battle toad's head. He's like, okay, come on. You can get your princess now. I'm done. Yeah. I'm st- I don't have time for this. I'm studying to be an astronaut. So the door opens into the penthouse where we see Princess Erin with her blonde wig and southern accent. And Lisp. And Harvey, Scorpius Harvey, is her, like, valet. And John's like, wait, so Scorpius isn't the ogre? I assume Scorpius would be the ogre. And I'm not going to even attempt to do the accent that Claudia Black is doing here. No, no, it's... But she's like, that's not the ogre. But you don't have to worry about the ogre when you could, you know, worry about my vagina. And John's like, I'm looking for Chiana. I really, I don't have time for this video game nonsense. And Aaron's like, do you have time for my vagina nonsense? And John's like, Jesus Christ, this is so one note. And then the ogre appears, and of course, it's Crace in ogre makeup. Like, so much ogre makeup. That's a pretty good ogre look. I mean, honestly, it looks a lot like, uh... Uh, it looks a lot like Olaf from Buffy with slightly less effort. It does! But that's still, like, o- Olaf was a really good makeup job, so. So, they argue, and then Chiana comes running in, and John is like, Chiana! Why did you get me trapped in this bullshit? Also, it's important that we understand that the ogre and the princess are arguing like an old married couple, not like. <laughs> not like. A captive and. Her captivator. Captor. Not like a captive and her captor. So when once Chiana shows up and John is like, okay, Chiana, green door, right there. We're going through the green door. We're getting out of here. And, and, and Southern Belle Princess Erin is like, this is, this is why we can't have anyone over. You're always mean and they always run off. And it's just, I kind of love it. I love the scene. Anyway, John pulls Chiana out of the illusion for realsies, y'all. They're 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 out of the game now, and they have to deal with this uh, situation. Yeah, they take the transport back to Moya to catch Scorpius. We're doing a whole bunch of Moya things. We're running through tunnels. Uh, they split into pairs. Chiana, Chiana goes off with Dargo. Wait, what, whatever do you mean by that? Chiana goes off with Dargo, and John goes off with Aaron. Okay, wait, I am gonna throw this out there. Okay. Chiana goes off with Dargo, and we see that. We only see a second of it, but we do see that. Mm. What What are we watching? Anyway, yeah, so John goes off with Aaron, and, okay, I love this because John says to Aaron, you know, it's good to have you back, and Claudia Black does her magnificent face acting, where we see all of the emotions that Aaron has here, where she is... So glad that he has kind of forgiven her for everything that happened, and also, like, 
she has no lines, but we see all of the emotions that she's feeling. And okay, we're we're joking about it. We're we're jokingly spoiling it, but this is programmed, Gianna. This is fake, Gianna. Because Aaron. Bo- oh, did you mean Gianna? Oh, I was talking about Gianna, but oh, yes, also this is this is all fake. This is all fake. John is just in a different part of the simulation. But this is my point. When we've seen John have simulated Aaron before, it wasn't actually Aaron. This is Aaron. Well, like yeah. it's it's simulated, but this is the moment where I believe that the Aaron in John's head is the way Aaron actually is. Oh. Hence, this is when I believe that John can actually, this John, the John who lived, can actually have a relationship with Aaron. You approached this from a completely different angle than I did. Oh, please tell me what you saw. I assume that this was more like the real Aaron because these were created off of memories of dead John, who had oh. a more accurate version of Aaron in his head. Oh, yours is so much sadder than mine. Oh, yours makes more sense because, of course, this isn't John's knowledge. This is dead john's knowledge oh yeah no yours is right mine is wrong john sorry. get your shit together sorry <laughs> no 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 but pilot sends an announcement out over the intercom saying hey scorpius has me captured so if someone could come rescue me that would be great and john's like this is obviously a trap right and aaron's like only one way to find out which yep so they go into pilot's den and Pilot has, like, the heavy-lidded eyes of mind control. Mm-hmm. And when they walk into the den, he immediately starts firing at them with DRDs. And then Scorpius comes out of the shadows and is like, hey, guess what? I have a new thing now. I have a... I have a Mind control harness. Yeah, cause, which is kind of like the chip, except extra special, because now I can control you, not just whatever. And anyway, just want to point out that both Johns, this is their worst nightmare because of the whole thing where they killed Aaron before when they were being controlled by Scorpius. Mm. Yep. And Scorpius is like, also, by the way, if you shoot me, then he'll die. Yep. And John's like, Jesus fucking Christ, Scorpius, we don't have time for this. Graze is coming after us. And Scorpius is like, he can wait. He doesn't say that exactly. He, but he, he dismisses Graza with a casual comment using the wrong gender. Okay, when he says that comment, I thought he was dismissing John, but I think you're right that he's talking about Greza. Oh, that's so interesting because... Again, we are in a simulation. Right, right. We're in a simulation, and I didn't realize that that was a clue because I thought he was talking about John, but you're right, he he absolutely is talking about Greza, or could be. Anyway, John wakes up in a cell, and Aaron is... Yeah, because Aaron knocks him out. Yeah, Aaron knocks him out. And John wakes up, and Aaron is all his captor now, and John's like, I see you're controlled by Scorpius now. And she's like, haven't you thought that maybe I'm just protecting Pilot? And John's like, no. The script wants us to have a moment where we wonder whose side Aaron is on, but the actors aren't giving us that. The actors are like, no, no. Also, none of this is real. Yes. Although, I, I think it's well done. No, I think it's really well done. We're, like we're, pl- we're, we're, we're joking about it because we know the ending, but I don't think that this is overly telegraphed. I think it's very well done. Other than, other than overly telegraphed if you know how television works and you see how many minutes are left in the episode. Yeah. I, like, 
I knew that John was still in the illusion because there were like 20 minutes left in the episode and that's how TV works, which is not fair to the episode because theoretically he could have gotten out. But I'm like, there's there's no way he got out with this much time left in the episode. Well, I think they do a really good job of faking you out because in a, in a, in a couple of scenes, John is going to try to fight Scorpius by trapping Scorpius in the simulation. And that could very well have been the plot without it being with, 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 with this all being real, even though, as we said, this is all part of the simulation. Like the show did everything they could to counter our knowledge of how television works. I do really like that John's like, so what, did Sokozu help you escape? And Scorpius is like, yeah, sure, whatever. I like his very casual dismissal of Sokozu because he doesn't know who Sokozu is. Yep. This is all built off of the memories of dead John. John tries to stab Scorpius, but he can't. After Scorpius baits him by telling him how attractive quarter scaring uh, yeah. sebations probably are. And John's like, nope, stabbing time. Yep. And Scorpius just, you know, nope, you are under mind control now, so. Yeah. So Chiana is trapped. So after Scorpius leaves, Chiana is in the next cell. And she has the little root thingy, the game thingy. And she tells John to come into the game with her because while they're in the game, Scorpius can't spy on them, which is smart. And again, like I said, a good way to combat your knowledge of how stories work because they're still using the game this far into the episode, even if they are outside of it. Yes. So they go back into the game and the ogre and the princess are both asleep. And John and Gianna are talking about how to defeat Scorpius in the real world. They're going to do the thing I suggested, which is that they trap Scorpius in the game. And then when he is kind of in that state, they'll, tie up everyone else so that they can't attack them and then they'll figure out how to undo the mind control so that everybody doesn't die when John kills Scorpius. Hmm. John cuts himself so that he can write a message in his blood and again this is like the opposite of using how television works because there is zero chance that John writes as much as he wrote with that much blood and doesn't die or at least pass out. But because television kind of doesn't care about stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, it could be real. Could be real. So Aaron comes and she's like, so you think I'm still under some sort of Scorpius mind control? And John's like, yeah. And she's like. She, she wants to stop him from doing what he's doing. Or she says that she wants to stop him from doing what he's doing, which is giving Scorpius the wormhole knowledge. That's what he's writing out. He's writing out the wormhole equations. Yeah. And she's like, so you still think I'm under Scorpius's mind control? And John's like, eh. By the way, the I know it's supposed to be blood and who knows what it really is, except that we know what it really is because it's obviously ketchup. It is obvious. But... Scorpius comes into the room. He's like, oh my God, it's the formula for creating wormholes. And John's like, yes, it's all of the formula except for the one, except for this one part, which I am standing on with my boot. You have all of the knowledge except this one thing that makes it all work. And I will move my boot if and only if blah, 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 blah. Yeah, if you come into the room with me. And 
By the way, uh, Scorpius does is like, I respect the drama. John, I respect the drama. But, you know, if you if you kill me, everyone I have under my control will die, including Aaron. And uh, John's like, knife to the face anyway. But, of course, Scorpius can block him. And, of course, John was counting on that because he uses the, the route to trap Scorpius in the game. Although I do like this part because now Scorpius is in the game. And you'll remember that the first level in the gamut base, Scorpius is chasing Jelena. And now Jelena is like, wait, why is Scorpius there now? He was chasing me. And she's all confused. I kind of, I, I just love the way this is structured. It's really well done. And Scorpius is so bored with this. He, he's like, really, John, you think that you can just trap me in a simulation and that'll work? That'll get rid of me? And John's like, well, I bet you weren't counting on this. And he whips his gun out of his holster, but it's a banana. And Scorpius is like, I can control the simulation. I'm used to this sort of mind thing. And Scarens are kind of psychic or whatever. So, like, come on. It turns out Scorpius is actually Neo. In this particular analogy or whatever. John is choking because Scorpius was choking him. So Aaron comes and rescues him even well... Even well, Scorpius is still trapped in the thing. Yes. Aaron's like, we have to get out of here. And John is like, um, what about everyone else? And Aaron's like, you're the only one I care about. And then starts making out with him. And, <sighs> and John, it, it, it hits John. Like John's been a little suspicious for most of this, but yeah. this is the moment where he's like, no, Aaron's had too much character development. This, this isn't right. Yeah. Uh, it breaks my heart that Aaron kissing him is what makes him realize that everything is wrong. And then he reaches into his pocket and sees that he still has the little hint sphere. And I, oh my God, that moment is so good. It's like so perfect when he pulls that hint ping pong ball out of his pocket. I'm like, it, even, even talking about it now, joking with you all the whole time about how this is the simulation. I'm still like, oh, such a great moment. One of the things I really like about it is the the whole scene is being framed by Aaron's face. After they kiss, Aaron turns away from him. Mm-hmm. And that's when he, you know, he reaches into his pocket and he finds the ping pong ball. And you can tell that she knows that he doesn't believe they're in the simulation anymore. Like, she kind of... Or that he knows that they are. Yeah. She kind of deactivates is probably the wrong word. She she stops playing. Like, she, it stops being, like, like she... Yeah, you're right. She she NB she NPCs. Yes. She she just stands there because there is no need for her to interact with John until John John's like we're still in the simulation and she's like what do you want me to say? Yeah. So he goes, he finds Chiana, he tells Chiana they're still in the simulation. The green door is on Moya now and when John touches it, the paint comes away. They painted the they painted the yellow door green to trick him. Mm. And then, of course, we see Chiana and John still sitting, holding on to the, hold, you know, still sitting on the transport pod with the, with the root trapped in the game. So. They call Stark back. John uses his last help ball. They're in the back door room again. And Stark gives them the little poem he gave earlier. And he's like, you kiss the princess you find the door. You kiss the princess you destroyed, or you find the door. 
These mm-hmm. are the ways you get out. And John's like, we can't even get out if we die. If we die, just reset. Yeah. So John goes back to the parking garage where... The Delvian is hanging out by the van. Or yeah. in the van. And and John talks to the Delvian as though he's Stark. And the Delphian starts kind of explaining how Stark created this game, that it's made out of all of the memories he that Stark absorbed from John. We've been pretty upfront about this, but this is where he's like, Stark wanted to pay tribute. He wanted people to know your story. So he created these simulations and put them out in the universe so people would know the things that you did. This is when John realizes that Naranti and Sokozu never appeared in the game. Mm-hmm. And he asks why plants like uh, light. And then he has Chiana turn on the uh, the Van's lights and then he stabs... Uh... Yep, and then he stabs Zan in the back, fake Zan in the back. And then he jumps into the van and runs over Rigel because basically he's going through the levels again, but he's like speed, he's speed running them. He's speed running the levels. So he hits, he hits, uh, Rigel with the van and then they, now they're in the room with, with Hansel and. There's this really weird thing where like Darko has cut a hole into what's, into what's her face? Jewel. Jewel into Jules' chest, and he's, like, scooping baked beans out of it. And uh, Jules like, yay, finally someone's eating me. And Dargo's like, oh, wait, no, there's a better option. And John realizes that he's had the wrong Chiana the whole time. Yeah, he he turns to, quote-unquote, his Chiana, and he's like, wait, how did you escape this room? Wait, what's Aaron's secret? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, God! damn it and then he frees this chiana who's like trussed up with an apple in her mouth and she's like took you long enough john jesus christ oh so chiana grabs one of the giant fake lollipops and knocks out dargo and chiana's like jesus christ john really really and so now they're back in the elevator because they're speed running this. And, and Chiana's back in her outfit. Yeah, we don't even see her get back in her outfit. She just is. But I love, she puts her foot up on the the railing on the elevator like it's a ballet bar and she's stretching her leg because presumably it is sore from being trussed up for literally hours. But now they're back in the princess's chambers and John's like, all right, let's kick some ass. And Chiana starts fighting with Harvey, and John starts fighting with Crace. The ogre. Yeah. And Princess Erin has this weird running dialogue thing about how, you know, she was watching TV, and she saw something exciting like this, and she always likes meeting new people, and... All right, I'm gonna say one... I know I said one more thing. I'm gonna say one more thing about her accent. Okay. Um... Claudia Black did not reveal to anyone what accent she was going to do until the scene started. <laughs> and she, apparently she made Ben Browder, like, break multiple times when she was talking in the accent and he heard it for the first time. Which I feel like is turnabout fair play for Ben Browder. Yes. Yes. If anything, you know what, we, we had all this talk about what is she doing with this accent, I just now realized... She's making fun of Ben Browder is what she's doing. She is giving Ben Browder a taste of his own medicine. Yep. What's good for the goose is good for the Browder. So Chiana pretty handily takes out fake Scorpius. 
John's having a slightly harder time with uh, the ogre, but so that Chiana doesn't help, Stark shows up and starts fighting Chiana. We get mm-hmm. another split screen. Yeah, this is the one where I most feel like we're seeing player one and player two, like what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chiana drives Stark off for long enough to stab the ogre. And the ogre's like, ugh, women, and then falls over dead. Yep. And now it's time, and John comes over and finishes him, which just feels like overkill at this point. Yeah, Quite John, literally overkill. John's just kill stealing. Yeah, totally. But now he's going to go kiss the, this princess. His Aaron, I guess. And she's like, are you really John Crichton? The really real John Crichton? And uh, John, you know, swaggers over to her. But I I love that. Are you really John Crichton? Because isn't that the question? Mm. Isn't that the question? Especially here in the game that is based on the memories of that John Crichton. He gives her this big, long, deep kiss and then just kind of throws her onto the bed but he's like, nothing happens. Yeah, he's like, mm, no. And ev- and everybody's trying to figure out what ha- what's going on. And she's like, maybe it's a metaphor, and you actually have to plow me. I I have a very um. Well, Stark is the one who's saying this. Stark is like, maybe kissing is a metaphor for going down on her. And the princess is like, yeah, maybe it is. Why don't we try that out? And John's like. I just, I, I, I get real Anya vibes from her in that moment. And I do really like this bit because Chiana's like, maybe she's not the princess. And Aaron's like, am I not the princess? I can be a princess for you if you want. She says, I'm not the princess you seek, but we could still have a good time. <laughs> but no, John's, John's princess is in another castle. Yeah. We're going old school video games here. And Stark's like, look, your body is meat and it will die, but your mind will be here with us forever. And John's like, no. And he jumps out the window because when you die in this world, you don't die in real life. You just reset because it's a video game. Yep. He needs to go back to the beginning of the level. I like how that's unlike every other video game, you know, every other trapped in a video game thing ever. Where, you know, it's not if you die in the game, you die in real life. If you die in the game, you just start at the beginning of the uh, level again. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back to Stark on the video screen, kind of retelling the, uh, you know, the poem about how when you defeat ugliness, then the princess will be revealed. Yep. And that that's the part, that's the only part that makes me a little uneasy about them casting, well, not casting, but them using Rowan Wood as the as the fake Zan, but John does go. He attacks that Zan with a sword and Zan appears and is our Zan. Yeah. He cuts, he cuts man Zan in half and reveals woman Zan within him, the real Zan. And, and uh, John's like, are you really Zan? And Zan's like, she's like i am zan for all that it matters which is true because remember she shared unity with john and then this is based on john's memories so uh, she's the spark of zan that lives in john yeah she tells john that stark blames him for her death and that's fair yeah that's fair 
And so really, it is not Crace, but Stark, who is the ogre, who is preventing the kiss. Because I, I just, I love how we start this episode with John so in his head about what's going on with Aaron. And then we find out, like, that's not what matters. What matters is the heartbreak that Stark's been dealing with. And I do like that this isn't a nice reunion with Zan. Zan asks him what he's been doing. And yeah. And John's like, I don't know. And she's like, I died for you, John. A lot of people have died for you. You need to figure out what you're doing so that all of our deaths weren't for nothing. She and she tells him he oh, it's oh, I love the line so much that you need to figure this out before anyone else dies for the love of you. This is so good because we were so trapped in what is going on with John emotionally. We needed something really radical to break John out of what's going on with him emotionally. And here we got it in the most Farscape way possible. And I love it. I love it. So is this game fun for other people who encounter it? Yeah, because for other people, it's just like... Okay, but do they also have to cut fake Xan in half to find real Xan? Or are there just a bunch of people out there having sex with Princess Aaron? Okay, I think a lot of people are having sex with Princess Aaron. Oh, remember though, remember... John skipped a bunch of levels because of his brain. Yeah. So I think that when you're actually playing through the game... You are John for a significant portion of his life. So by the time you get to the princess level, you have the information John has to realize that it's Zan that you're supposed to free and not Aaron. Hmm. I'm sorry. I'm just, this is really play ready player one. The whole, you have to kiss the, you know, girl that the designer of the game wanted in real life, even though they weren't actually together. They were together. And not in ready player one. In, in Farscape though. Yeah. Yeah. In Farscape start. Is that weirder? Is it weirder that you have to essentially kiss the game designer's dead wife? Oh, no. Ready Player One is way weirder. Way creepier. Oh, no. I'm not saying is it... I, I know it's weirder in Ready Player One. It's still kind of weird in Farscape. Okay, so here's what's weird to me. Because they are talking a lot about how they're going to keep John trapped here. This is this is what needs to happen. At one point, Stark even says that like John will do less damage here with his mind, you know trapped here with all of them this is essentially for all intents and purposes not a game as much as it's a trippy biography mm. like you play this game to learn the story of john Crichton, not Literally to play a visual a game. novel yeah no it is it's a visual novel so we're decompressing with naranti yeah, yeah, so back in the real world now, for real, we see Naranti both because the actress has not been in the episode yet, and also <laughs> so that we know for sure we're back in the real world. And John's like, do you think I'm like a destructive force in the universe who just brings death everywhere? And Naranti's like, eh, kind of. She's like, a lot of people have died because of you. Yeah, like, eh, eh. And but also you need to get your shit together when it comes to Aaron. Like that 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 whole thing needs to be taken care of. Well, John's like it. It always comes back to Aaron, and I just I don't know what to do. You know, I I can't think clearly where Aaron's concerned. And Naranti's like, yeah, well, that's life. That's life, buddy. Get over it. She's not wrong. She's like figuring it out, dude. 
She gives John that same stuff that she gave him back in the beginning of the season that will make him forget for a while, and he takes it. And I just want to say, we don't see... He physically takes it from her, but we don't physically see if he ingests it or not. And I like to think that he doesn't, even though obviously the implication is that he does. And she tells him, she's like, thank you, by the way, because I haven't felt love in quite some time. And watching you feel love has reawakened some things in me. It's reminded me of, you know... It's reminded me of very old feelings. And John walks past Aaron. She Now that he has the, the things which he may or may not have taken, she wants to try to, like, break the ice with him, have a conversation. She's like, I hear in your fantasy I was a princess. He pauses. He almost says something, and then he walks off. Oh, my God. It's heartbreaking. And... Because it's happening in the halls of Moya, where we have hardly been this episode, it is a real nice juxtaposition between that and the moment where he said to her, inside the game, it's good to have you back, and she was so happy. It's like such a perfect juxtaposition. Ugh. The writer of this episode was so good. I feel like they really understood what was going on with John. So, you know what? Wait, I actually I, like I this episode. <laughs> I said that to, like, lead you up to asking me who wrote this episode. Oh, who wrote this episode? Ben Browder wrote this episode. Ah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, you know what? I actually really like this episode. I don't know if I'll ever particularly... Actually, I don't really know if I'm going to want to revisit Farscape at all. But, like, if you walk into the room and I'm watching this episode... I won't leave or make you turn it off. I mean, I wouldn't make you turn it off anyway, but I, I wouldn't leave, necessarily. If, if I... Bring in somebody into the house who's never seen Farscape. And I go, let me show you something wild. Will you sit with us and watch this episode? Yeah. I mean, if we were going to do a trippy episode viewing of Farscape, it would be uh, this episode. Um, won't get fooled again. Won't get fooled again. I guess those are the big two. I might start with like the first Maldus episode. Yeah. But no, honestly, just this and won't get fooled again. I feel like if you watch those two episodes and you're, oh, oh, no. The, Won't get fooled against the one we showed Jay, right? Yes. Okay. No, also the episode with the uh, the episode on the planet with the. Oh yeah, yeah the the vacation planet episode. Yeah, that one too. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's get into our segments. All right, our first segment is a distant part of the universe. What world building worked for you this episode? I mean, it's cheating, but the game. Right. The game is cool. It's a cool thing that there's like a weird psychic organic rock thing where you just kind of upload memories and create a narrative around them, and then other people can experience that narrative just by touching the rock. That's that's neat. It's like that one movie, except even better. What's that movie? Strange Days? Not familiar, but okay. Where, where you live other people's memories. Ah. It's like a cyberpunk movie. Ah. But yeah, no, I'm with you. The game. 100% the game. Our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures, which is what creature design work for you this episode. Okay, this is also kind of cheating, but I do like the ogre design a lot. The ogre design was really good. Initially, he was supposed to have even bigger horns, like giant, unreasonably large horns, but it, I guess it didn't work with the sword fighter. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, I'm going to bring up something about the Xan, which I just, I don't, I, it, 
weirds me out that they were like trapped inside ugliness and then they took not just a normal guy but a normal guy who's your co-worker and we're like hey we're gonna make you the ugliness and zan's trapped inside but if you know that zan was initially written to be a male character and that was very close to the initial design for zan i feel like that's kind of cool huh yeah that would have been a very different character i think Virginia Hay brought a lot to Zan. Like, she's talked in interviews about how they didn't really... On the script, on the page, it was just, like, priestess. And she, being a spiritualist herself, was like, okay, well, I'll bring in a bunch of crystals and shit and do, like, my priestess stuff. And they were like, okay, I guess it's okay. Go with that. Yeah. So Virginia Hay brought a lot to what Zan and Delvians are. And then our final segment is The Wonders That I've Seen, which is what emotionally resonated for you in this episode. Okay, John Cena with Zan. Especially because it should be a sweet moment, but it's really not. Like, yeah. it, this is John getting to see someone who he loved who died protecting him, and her being like... Why? Why? You're like, I died to save your life, and all you've done is hurt more people. She died to bring Aaron back to life after John killed Aaron. Like, and now, and now what is this? Yeah. Ugh. I mean, for me, it's just the look on Claudia Black's face when John walks away from her at the end. That's also super heartbreaking. Fucking heartbreaking. Ugh. All right, next time we're talking about the episode, I shrink, therefore I am. Ugh. The description on Apple is... When Moya is taken over by a gang of ruthless bounty hunters, Crichton must team with an unlikely ally. And I, think I sense a stock plot coming. <laughs> right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Yeah, I think that'll about do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maricruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. We can also be contacted at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail or at ilovetvzines on twitter.com. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Wah, Wah space out! Wah.